chapter 1. Uh, we mentioned it uh, a few Sunday nights ago um, in, in the course of where we were looking. And I said on the occasion that I, I find it one of the most helpful passages to turn to when you're talking to someone about what Christianity is about and why it's so, so, so vitally important to understand who the Lord Jesus Christ is, why he came, what he's done, and not just to believe that and accept it intellectually, but to actually put your life's hope and trust in that. Because it's the only way to be saved. Let me just read from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll read from verse 3. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love every one of you has for each other is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you, and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power on the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marvelled at among all those who have believed. This includes you, because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you, that our God may count you worthy of his calling, and that by his power, he may fulfil every good purpose of yours, and every act prompted by your faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us just for a few minutes to consider those verses together. Why believe? What's the first reality of the Christian life? I don't know, uh, a number of you are here this morning, and even though some of you I do know, I don't know whether or not you're Christians. Maybe, like Jerry, you can look back on a time and say, I clearly remember a time when I realised that before a holy God I was a sinner. I realised before a holy God that I disobeyed him, that he'd given me rules, he'd given me laws, laws like do not lie, do not steal, do not use my name wrongly, and I'd done the very opposite. I recognised that before a holy God I'd lived in his world that he'd given me, and I treated it as though it was my right I hadn't got up every morning to worship him. I hadn't got up every day and said to him, God, how do you want me to live this day? I'd just taken it that it was my right to live it as I wanted. It was my life and I'd live it for my own glory. And maybe you can look back on a time when you realise those things and like Jerry, you turned round to God and asked his forgiveness for that. You recognised before a holy God that that was a wrong way to live and you pleaded with him to forgive you for that and you say, God, I want to turn away from that. I don't want to live like that anymore. Will you help me to live a life rather that pleases and glorifies you? 
and you put your trust and your hope in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, would you forgive me, not because I deserve it, because I know I don't, but will you forgive me because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did on the cross 2,000 years ago? Because I understand from your word that when he died, he died to cover the sins of those who would ask you to forgive them. He was punished in his body with the punishment that I deserved. So because he has paid for my sin, will you please forgive me? And I give my life to him. Now maybe you've done that, and that's great, that's wonderful. But maybe some of you haven't this morning. And you're sitting here thinking, well why on earth should I want to believe and become a Christian? After all, let's be honest, um, if I become a Christian it means Sundays I'm going to be spending in church. I've got other things I've been doing on a Sunday that I enjoy doing. It means I'm going to spend time reading a book that was written thousands of years ago and I struggle to understand. I'm going to be praying, that's not something that I've been doing. Um, you know, people are going to laugh at me. I'm going to go into work and people are going to not understand when I talk to them. Maybe I'm even going to be persecuted and certainly if you lived in some countries today you might even face death for it. So why on earth would I become a Christian? Well can I first say to you that you're absolutely right in saying those things. Let's be clear. God doesn't deceive us as to what being a Christian is about. Did you see there in verse 4 that we read together? Paul's writing to Christians there. He says about your perseverance and faith in all the persecute your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you're enduring. Amongst those people Paul's writing to are some who had had a very easy life. They were successful in their community. Their community accepted them. They had friends. They had good jobs. And then they became Christians and it all changed. They found friends weren't their friends anymore. They found in their workplaces life wasn't easy anymore. They found that society turned against them and marginalised them and pushed them out. And that is the reality of being a Christian. I don't want to deceive you. I don't want to pretend otherwise. So why on earth would you become a Christian? Well, the answer is, that isn't all that being a Christian is. Yes, those things will happen. That is part of being a Christian, but that's not all of it. In fact, that's only a tiny, 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 infinitesimally small bit of it. Jesus promises persecution. If they persecuted me, he said, they will persecute you. He said on another occasion, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. We expect to be persecuted as Christians. It goes with the territory. But that's only a tiny thing. Firstly, we know that that persecution will actually result in greater reward. Look at verse 5. As a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. They're suffering for a purpose. They're suffering for a goal. The glory of Christ. The glory of their King. And they're going to be rewarded for that. It talks in Scripture about those who are martyred for Christ actually having a place before the very throne of God in heaven above. When they die, when they die killed for their faith in Christ, their souls immediately go to the very, the very front of the throne of God. Isn't that amazing? That's their gift from God for having died for Christ. So even for the persecution there is reward later, not now. But verse 2, did you see what it said there? Grace and peace to you. Everyone enjoys grace from God. Do you realise that? 
even if you're the most hardened atheist and you totally deny the existence of a God, you still enjoy God's grace every day of your life. You enjoy air to breathe. You enjoy the sun that warms you. You enjoy the rain that refreshes you. You enjoy health and strength to live. You enjoy a a, a mind to reason with. Those are gifts of God. They're gifts that are there by his grace. He doesn't have to give them to you. He could turn the sun off tomorrow. He could just let the sun shine on those who worship him and not on the others. It's what we call common grace. He gives it to everyone. You already receive his grace. But there's another type of grace altogether that God gives. And that's the grace that he only gives to those who worship him. He only gives to those who repent their sin. He only gives to those who come through Jesus Christ. And that's the grace that we're reading of here in verse 2. When he says, the grace and peace of God to you. If you're not a Christian, I wonder where you find your peace. I suppose some look for it in their bank balance. They say, well, as long as I've got a good bank balance, I'm going to be buffered through life. Or you take out or whatever insurance it is, that this big balloon comes out in front of you when you hear a, a problem, you know, what's it, ING director or whatever it is. I don't know where you find your peace. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's in your career. Maybe it's in your health. But all of these things fail us at times, don't they? And they're all going to desert us when we face death. When we face death, we're there on our own. It's tragic, isn't it, that man who died yesterday? A man whose life's in such a mess. He's now standing before his creator. He got to the point where he couldn't see any purpose in living anymore. He actually thought he'd be better off dead. That's a terrible mistake to make. He's infinitely worse off now. He's just stepped into eternity and he's standing before a holy God calls him to account for his life and he's got no answer to give but we can have peace in this lifetime the peace that comes through knowing that your sin has been dealt with the peace that comes through knowing that when you stand before almighty God he's not going to hold one thing against you no thought that's ever entered your head no word that you've ever spoken with your lips no action that you've ever done with your hands. He will never hold anything against you. It says as far as the east is from the west, that far has he removed from you your sin. And when he looks at you, he won't see you at all. In fact, what he will see is the beauty of Jesus in your place. And that just brings such absolute peace. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring to me. I could break my arm break the vertebrae or whatever it might be. I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know this, God is on my side now. And whatever tomorrow brings, I can face it. Because he's promised he will not leave me, he will not desert me, he will not forsake me. And he's promised that all things will work together for my good because I trust is in Christ. And he's promised that when this brief lifetime is over and I drop dead, Jesus is going to be there to take me into the very presence of God where there be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more suffering and I can enjoy his grace right now this saving grace this grace that takes a wretched sinner and transforms him into a, a saint we enjoy verse 3 faith 
he's writing to them and saying because your faith is growing more and more you know what your faith's in I've heard people say to me I wish I had faith like you the sad thing is they can they can if you like faith ask God come before God and say God I want to be able to believe God I, I want to, to, to have this assurance I want to know that my sin is covered God will you give me the faith to believe in Jesus Christ and when we do that faith just grows and grows and grows and grows if you said to me the moment I became a Christian do you believe in Jesus Christ I'd have said yes I'm turning to him now in repentance and faith if you ask me now do I believe in Jesus Christ I'd say no it's not the word I'd use anymore I don't believe in him, I know him. I know him. I'm more certain that Jesus Christ exists than my own two human brothers. It's, it's, it's no longer faith of that sort of, I'm going to have to take this big step of faith, because once you take that, your faith just starts to grow and grow and grow and grow. And the more you talk to Jesus, the more you understand Jesus, the more you read about Jesus. How can I now talk about believing in him? He's everything to me. He's more real than life itself. Verse 3, we enjoy the love of brothers and sisters. Isn't that a wonderful blessing? If you're a Christian, to know the love of brothers and sisters. But maybe you're saying, okay, well all those things sound great, but I've got a pretty good life as it is. In fact, I'm quite content with my life. I can put up with not having those things, as I have done up until now. Well, just look at this, the reality of Jesus Christ's return. Do you see verses 6 and 7 there? God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to, all who, to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. Jesus Christ is coming back. And verse 6, God is just. Are you glad that God is just? Wouldn't it be terrible if God was unjust? If he said, I'll tell you how to come to me, I'll tell you how to please me, and, and then when the time came and we came before God, he says, change the rules. I'm actually going to let all the murderers into heaven and all the rapists and all those people who reject me and all those who believe in me, I'm going to kick out. God is just. He has said what he will do. He has said how it will happen. He's told us exactly what we need to do. He hasn't deceived us in any way. And he is just. He will act on that. No one's going to be able to stand before God and say, but God, why didn't you tell me? God, why didn't you give me a chance? If only someone had said, and God will say, do you know what this thing is? It's a Bible. I've told you exactly what I'm going to do. I've told you exactly what's going to happen. I've given you a conscience. I, I, I've painted in the whole of creation a massive sign that says there is a God here. Do you really think we evolved from monkeys? Get a life. You've only got to look at the amazing complexity of a human being to know that there's a creator. And God says the reality is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Just as he went up in heaven 2,000 years ago, so he will return. And every eye will see him, the Bible says. And it says every knee will bow before him. He's not going to come back as a little baby. He's not going to come back going around performing miracles and teaching. 
He's going to come back, it says, in blazing fire with his powerful angels. It's a different sort of Jesus, isn't it? He's coming back as King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Judge of all he has made. And when he appears, it says in Scripture, in a place, that people will scream for the mountains to fall on them and bury them because it will be so frightening when they see Jesus Christ in all his glory coming to judge them. That's what God says is going to happen. And he's just, he will do what he has said he's going to do. And because he is just, he is going to have to judge every one of us. He, can't, he won't be able to say, well okay, that guy who's just killed himself yesterday, I, I judge him and find him bad and evil. But that person there who's only done a little few things wrong, I'll, I'll gloss over those things. He can't do that, he's just. He's got to deal with every wrong thing. If you've only ever had one wrong thought in your head, God has got to judge that. And let's be honest, we all know we've had far more than one wrong thought in our heads. How many times have we thought wrongly of other people? Whether it's in a sexual way or whether it's in anger or whatever it might be. How many wrong words have we spoken? How many wrong actions have we done? And God has got to judge every one of those when he returns with his holy angels. The reality of his return, the reality of eternal separation, look at verses 8 to 10 there. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. That's a pretty bleak future, isn't it? Can you think of any worse future to contemplate than that? That God says, those who do not obey me and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, those who don't know me, I'm actually going to banish from my presence into everlasting death. See the word everlasting there? He doesn't say they're going to die and stop to exist. He says everlasting death. They're going to exist forever under the holy punishment of a righteous God. And I can't think of anything worse than that. That man yesterday couldn't bear the weight of his own sin in this lifetime, could he? It drove him to the point where he had to take his own life. Many people do that because they can't bear the weight of the guilt of what they've done themselves. Can you imagine what it's going to be like to live forever under the punishment of a holy God who sees every thought we've ever had and has to punish those? Who sees every word we've ever spoken and has to punish that? who sees every deed we've ever done that's wrong and has to punish those? Can you imagine what it's going to be like to live under that punishment forever? Well, did you notice those verses carry on, verse 10? On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people. There's a distinction, isn't there? That's going to happen to one group, but there's going to be another group who are actually marvelling at Jesus Christ and praising him. Do you understand that there are two destinations after this life? Do you understand that? I mean, so many people, and where you say to them, what do you think is going to happen when you die? They say, well, I hope if there's a heaven, I'm going to get there. They're not even sure whether there is one. But if there is one, then they hope they're going to get there. My friends, that's hope where there is no hope. 
Let me tell you there are two destinations. Scripture is absolutely clear. There is heaven and there is hell. One is the place where you delight in God. And it is the most amazing place you can possibly imagine. Infinitely better than the best experience you've ever had in this life. And the other is hell. Where for an eternity you'll be under the wrath of God in the worst place you can possibly imagine. Amongst the worst people you can possibly imagine. For the whole of eternity. There is eternal separation. Just see finally then the reality that makes the difference. Look at verse 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may count you worthy of his calling. These are people who've been called. These are people who've heard God and heard what God wants to say to them and have responded to that calling. That's what makes the difference. It's not about doing good things. Please don't think, well in that case I better go and sort my life out and stop saying bad things. That won't help you. You've already said them. Let's be honest, even if you turn over 10 New Year's resolutions tomorrow, you're not going to keep them. Never managed to keep one yet, I've made, I don't think. It's not about getting it right from now on. It's about falling down on your knees before God and recognising before God that you can't get it right. But that you want it to be different. And asking him to forgive you. And turning to the Lord Jesus Christ and asking him to save you. It says in verse 12, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all you can count on. But my friend, that's all you need to count on. That God's grace will be poured out into your life and he will do what you can't do. As he has with Jerry, as he has with many here this morning. Oh my friend, I pray that if you don't know the wonder of your sins forgiven, you will understand what your sin is before a holy God. And you'll understand the reality of what awaits you just a moment away. And you'll understand what Jesus Christ has done in order that you don't have to face that, but instead can face the most wonderful future you could imagine possible. And I pray that you will have the faith to believe and the humility to confess your sin and turn to God. Can someone get the youngsters back from Christ?